Third lesson today comes from the book of Micah, in the fifth chapter. But you, of Bethlehem, of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall live secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You've heard that heritage matters a lot in the Jewish tradition. Luke's birth stories underscore that. When Elizabeth reveals that John's name will be John, there's a gasp among those who hear it. Like Southerners, they're quick to say, but that's not a family name. Family matters. When Caesar Augustus calls for a census, Joseph has to pack up and, and head a hundred miles south from Nazareth, to, uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem because that's where his family originated a thousand years before. Tell me what village your family lived in a thousand years ago. Family and heritage matter in the Jewish tradition. Joseph, descendant of David, goes to Bethlehem, little Bethlehem. You know it's little because we sing that every year. You know that Jesus was born there because we read that every year. You know the historical reason Jesus was born there, the registration census. Do you remember the theological reason Jesus was born in little Bethlehem? The answer is surprising. When I was a child learning basketball at the Y, they put us together at the beginning of each season and had these little... um, They didn't call them tryouts. Evaluations. Men, grown men, would stand there with clipboards and pens and watch these eight-year-olds figure out which way the goal was. We'd try to to dribble or pass or shoot, and we'd get marks on our paper. There was one guy who, if we had started the day doing a pickup basketball game outside, would not have been chosen until last. Chase was his name. To look at Chase, you would have never thought of him as a basketball player. He was about half my size as an eight-year-old. He was quite small in, in stature. He was cute, more like a doll than a basketball player. Then they gave him the basketball, and Chase dribbled around circles around all of us. No one had a chance of getting the ball from him. You might expect that because he was so low to the ground, but then when it was time for him to shoot... We all were amazed. He'd start right there at his hip and somehow could get the ball into the air before anybody could block it, and it went in more than it didn't. Chase was quickly the coach's choice. All the way through middle school, I remember, how's that little guy do so well? He was the Muggsy Bogues of Rock Hill. Sometimes God does amazing things, surprising 
things with people. In fact, the Bible often underscores this idea that that God is at work in ways you cannot predict and, and among people you would not have chosen. There was Gideon, who by his own assessment was from the weakest clan in the area and was the least among his family. And it was to him that God said, Go in the might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you. Gideon did not have a clue that he had any might. But God saw it. And then there was David, who, of course, is considered the greatest king that Israel ever had, despite his great sin. He didn't start out great, however. No one looked on him as king material. And yet, that's all we think about him now. No one would have ever predicted that. You've heard the story today, when God was ready for a new king, God sent Samuel to Bethlehem to find Saul's successor. He asked Jesse to bring his sons forward. When the first arrived, Samuel was sure that this was the one Eliab looked like a king. I'm sure he was strong, tall, mature, yet entertaining. Entertainment is now apparently a big candidacy requirement. While Samuel saw the obvious choice must be Eliab, God did not see his choice. On it went, son after son, until Samuel had to ask, any more? There was one, but Jesse had almost forgotten him. There's another, but he's just a shepherd boy, a a kid himself. He doesn't look like a king at all. Don't waste your time. We're not sitting down until I meet him. David arrived and God chose him. The unlikeliest of the sons from the unlikely town becomes the greatest of all kings. So great, in fact, that Israel's people waited another thousand years after he dies for anyone of his caliber. Some are now 3,000 years still waiting for the next David. 300 years after David, Micah was waiting. When the Assyrians were bearing down on Israel, he could have given up, and yet somehow he had hope. He saw a day coming when once again, unlikely Bethlehem, that town in the shadows of powerful Jerusalem, would produce the kind of king that God was looking for, the kind who would lead Israel into security. The kind about whom it would be said that great to the ends of the earth, the one who shall be the one of peace. Once again, Micah felt sure that this little town would produce the hope of all nations. I wonder who believed Micah less. The people who could only imagine that if God is going to do something great, it would have to be in Jerusalem, this center of all of their religious life. Or the people who wandered around the dusty streets of Bethlehem, thinking lightning never strikes the same place twice. And yet, God has this way of calling up the unlikely. Even unlikely towns. And out of this unlikely town will come yet another unlikely ruler. 
When the world around him is caving in, Assyria threatening Israel's very existence, Micah says this new ruler from David's line will come from Bethlehem to shepherd his people into peace. And 700 years later, it happens in the most shocking of ways. God doesn't always act when or how we think God should. But God does act. And 700 years after Micah said a shepherd would come from Bethlehem, the good shepherd himself was born in a manger in that little town. Every time we hear, he can't be the one, he's from the wrong town and doesn't look like he should. And every time we think, I can't be the one, I don't have what it takes, we need to hear the echo of Gabriel's word to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. That doesn't mean that every unlikely person is God's choice for the job at hand. It does mean that God has this habit of surprising us with who God chooses to do amazing things. Twenty-six children in Florence will have beds to sleep in this Christmas. Many of them, for the first time in their lives, will have their own bed to sleep in. All because a lawyer, of all people, read a book about a church in Kansas that was doing ministry like that and heard God say, you bring that ministry to Florence. And as an aside, a child that I saw pick up his bed yesterday morning, I saw later in the afternoon putting a few coins out of his pocket into a Salvation Army bucket. Same child, receiving and giving. Six homes in Florence will be under repair this time next week. All because God told someone that teenagers and adults will give up a portion of their Christmas break to sleep at a church at night and work in the community during the day and that these untrained, allegedly unfocused and self-absorbed, device-addicted young adults can do the work and turns out, love doing the work. 100,000 meals will be given to the hungry people of Florence this winter and spring. Because a man going through a life-threatening bout with cancer treatment heard God say, I'm not finished with you. You're going to push your church and your town to feed my hungry people. None of these people did God choose because he was the Messiah. They were all inspired by him. They're all committed to him. They and so many more of you are willing to say, if that's how God's will is to be done in this place, I don't know if I'm the likeliest to do it, but I am at least willing. What Micah's word reveals to us is that God will use the unlikely, even an unlikely town, so long as they are willing. Even more, what we learn from Bethlehem, from Micah, from Luke, is that God continues to act in surprising ways. 
We can predict with certainty that God's covenant of grace is never failing. That God remembers His promises and does not break Him. But how God will fulfill His covenant and when God will fulfill His covenant is beyond our predicting. All we get to do is step back and say, if you want to come to us as a vulnerable baby born in a manger in Bethlehem, we'll take it, Lord. And if you want to burst into this place as a violent wind and move us into new relationships we've never imagined, we'll deal with it. And if you want to return riding on clouds, so be it. You, God, we're learning, are beyond our control. As is, we know all too well, this world that you have created. So break in, dear Lord, in new and surprising ways. And bring the peace and joy that we long for. The kind that comes when a newborn arrives and hope that was once fading is suddenly renewed. The kind that makes my soul want to tell out your greatness. The kind that makes us want to sing and to pray.